My name is Craig Pickett. I'm an executive recruiter. More than a decade ago, I started my practice for one purpose, to use my experience as a former military aviator, business jet sales executive, and P&L leader to help aviation and aerospace companies and their executives be fast, adaptable, and strategic. I do these podcasts to inspire and inform, but more importantly, they are a focused platform to help business leaders grow. Welcome to the Aerospace Executive Podcast. Hey, welcome back to the Aerospace Executive Podcast. I am uh, thrilled to have uh, Alex Krutz on with me. Alex is managing partner for uh, Patriot Industrial Partners. Patriot is a uh, conglomerate of, uh, uh, I guess I'll say conglomerate. It's it's a bunch of manufacturing supply chain experts out of some of the world's best uh, aerospace and defense companies, uh, Honeywell, GE, Boeing, um, and they help smaller and middle market aerospace manufacturing companies um, get better. So uh, we're going to have a good conversation today, talk about the challenges of 2021 and how some of these companies are going to, uh, are going to, you know, get through it. So uh, Alex, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Craig. This is great. I really appreciate it. From the great state or the great country or the, the great Republic of California. I don't know what, I don't know what I call it right now, but got it. It's uh, thanks for coming on. So you guys got about 20 experts in your organization. Um, and they're all retired, a lot of retired Boeing GE people, and they're helping these smaller companies get better. Obviously, COVID did uh, did a number on the uh, the middle market folks, probably worse than uh, the tier ones and the OEMs. So talk about the challenges. Talk about some of the challenges that uh, we know the devastation. So talk about the challenges that a lot of these folks have coming out of this and, and how you're helping them. Yeah, so so I think uh, you know, and again, Craig, thanks for for having me on. I think this is a really important topic for our supply chain. Uh, you know, when we look at you know aircraft that are built, uh, you know, somewhere around seventy percent of the aircraft are supply chain components, right? So the supply chain is is a very important part of the aerospace and defense sector. Um, I'd also uh, you know articulate that it's it's a it's it's a well connected and intertwined community, right? So um, you know when you have uh, successes and failures. Uh, it can uh, affect, if you will, kind of like dom- a domino effect in, in other, uh, you know, other suppliers, right? And so, uh, whereas one supplier might not be a direct to an OEM, uh, they might have a lot of content at tier one or tier two, uh, and that might cause a problem for uh, the aircraft builders, right? So, um, there's a lot of interconnectivity in the supply chain, and that's why this is such a critical, critical time for our industry. So I think to answer your question, uh, we saw with COVID, uh, we saw uh, a lot of, I, w- I would call it um, very large scale events, uh, you know, last year, uh, COVID being uh, obviously the primary one, um, which led to uh, the wide body, uh, you know, demand decrease. It's led to international travel decrease. Uh, and we also saw, uh, unfortunately, the, the grounding of the 737 MAX and trying to get the recertification going on there. So. Um, I think that there's, there were a, uh, a variety of events um, last year that were, uh, you know, impactful, uh, not only economically to uh, our country as well as others, but uh, to the aerospace and defense uh, uh, and, and primarily the commercial aerospace uh, supply chain. 
So, you know, one of the one of the things that I was kind of looking at and 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 seeing within the middle market, the lower middle market, you know, companies is uh, is really a liquidity issue, right? Uh, you know, from from that, I would say that um, these smaller companies, middle, you know, middle market, lower middle market, don't have the access to to credit facilities uh, like these larger tier one uh, and OEMs do. Um, you know, the banks and lenders are uh, you know are more. Uh, risk adverse when it comes to smaller companies, whether it's because of, you know, fewer assets or, you know, more risk and potential for, you know, perceived failure, uh, you know, versus the backstop of these uh, larger uh, publicly held companies uh, that uh, can get access to capital uh, or debt in, in a variety of ways. Um, so, so that's really, you know, leading into uh, really 2021, the lower volume situation, right? And so these these events of last year really have uh, constrained or lowered the production volume coming out of the OEM, uh, Boeing and, and Airbus to a great extent uh, of lower volumes, right? And so lower volumes in the supply chain means less sales. Less yep. sales means you know cutting staff. It means cutting inventory. Uh, it means making financial decisions that could uh, could really uh, challenge a business in the future. Um, but when you, you know, with, with the problems that, uh, you know, some people see that on the way down, as far as uh, decreasing volumes and, and production output, uh, people think that's the hard part. Uh, and yes, it's hard and it's difficult. Uh, but really what, what we see from a manufacturing standpoint and a supply chain standpoint is really the coming back up is, 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 is as hard, if not harder than going down, right? Yeah. I've heard that. You know, a lot of people say, hey, I cut, you know, I, I did all the cutting I could. Absolutely. But but it's it, it's like turning off lights is easy. I mean, yeah, yeah. you flip the switch, but you're getting back, turning them back on again. That's the big that's the big challenge I have in the industry in a lot of different things. You lose skilled workers, you yeah. lose them to other industries, you lose them to retirement, you lose them to a whole host of things. I, I was talking to one CEO uh, late last week. And they're trying to go through this big recall thing, 700 recall notices. I'm like, yeah. it's great that you're calling them back. How many of them want to come? Um, you know, so that's, it's, it's a huge, I mean, I, I don't think that the people, you know, when, when everybody was cutting or you know, the government or you know, whomever you know, understood that when we're cutting, you know, a lot of it's, it's you're just not going to get it all back. It's going to take a long time. That's, that's a huge challenge in the industry. Yeah. In, 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 in our business, Craig, you know, we call that the learning curve, right? So the learning curve going back up, um, you know, training new employees, uh, onboarding, and where you can't recall those certain, uh, certain you know, skilled talent folks. Uh, and that learning curve is very expensive and it's hard, right? Mm -hmm. it causes sometimes mistakes, scrap, excess inventory usage. So uh, that's, a, that's definitely a challenge is that kind of upward swing. Yeah. But the other things that aren't necessarily seen in that, you know, kind of upward uh, as, as, as we'll start to see, you know, and I, I guess uh, my glass is half full and to say that in Q3 and Q4, as, you know, more vaccines go out, um, you know, more people have uh, or in more closer community, you know, perhaps with, with COVID uh, and, and we start seeing that ability to get out and start traveling and demand increases, both right. and leisure, which will come back. The supply chain has to get ahead of that now, right? right. So mm -hmm. the supply chain, like we just talked about, has to hire people and uh, you know train them. 
Um, one of those challenges from a cash standpoint is those companies have, have had some relief through this PPP program in the government's uh, in the government support. But that's going to probably go away, if not this round, in the next couple months where maybe 50% of payrolls were being taken care of by the supplemental payments. Yeah. All of a sudden, to pay the same workforce that you had, in effect, it's kind of doubled back to what 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 nominal is, right? Oh, hey, hey, look, in our industry, I'm going to tell you right now, anybody who's a shareholder in an airline or an aerospace company needs to be thanking their lucky stars because the government could have easily wiped out shareholders. I mean, you think about United, Delta, American, et cetera. Shareholders take the risk, you know, company goes bankrupt, bankrupt for whatever reason. You know, and you think about how the, the PPP money has really saved the industry in a lot of ways. I mean, it's, it's like the only reason we have an aerospace money industry, I think, moving forward is because a lot of PPP money. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it saves some jobs. And it's it. Um, and we talked a little bit that, uh, you know, uh, the interconnectivity of, of, of the commercial market and, and, and uh, our defense, right? So a lot of these same companies in the middle and lower middle market, uh, you know, produce parts as they do for the 77 or 8320. Uh, mm-hmm. They're also, or the 787, any of these uh, commercial platforms, they're also making it for the F-35, right? Yep making it for the legacy F-18, F-15s, right? Um, you know, for the new bomber program uh, or space satellites. So all yep. of these, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of interconnectivity uh, when it comes to the commercial and, and defense side. So uh, PPP money was 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 timely, and I think it was well spent to, to make sure that, uh, you know, payrolls could stay as close to intact as possible. Uh, obviously, right. there was some cutting that needed to be done because of lower volumes, yeah, you think about it, but it's like, you know, the partnership for success out of Boeing, you know, that was pretty brutal on the suppliers. I mean, it was, you know, we're going to partner for success. No, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to help ensure, you know, look, we think you make too much money. I mean, I just, I, I won't mince words on this one. It was Boeing saying on the suppliers, we think you make too much money compared to us. So we're going to do a little income, you know, a little wealth distribution here. That hurt a lot of your small guys. I mean, at the end of the day, that hurt a lot of small guys. And then all of a sudden, the max gets grounded and COVID comes along and their credit facilities get tightened. So you've got this tier of producer that, you know, now all of a sudden, now I I had one company say, hey, they wanted to extend their payment terms to me to 60 days. I know a major tier one. I got a friend of mine who's buried into a major tier one and they want 180 days. Yeah. It's like basically, yeah. hey, why don't you why don't you finance our supply chain for us? You know, it's <laughs> exactly. like, yeah. yeah. Now, if I'm a small widget supplier with 200 employees out in Kansas somewhere or in Illinois, man, that 60 or 180 days, that hurts. I got to make pay. And, and then the bank doesn't want to finance me or, you know, I'm going to, to Bruno to get a, a high interest loan to finance you know, my receivables. That, that's that, how do we, how do we move beyond all that? Yeah. So let, let's, let's take kind of as an industry norm right now, 90 days to the tier ones in OEM. There's some at 60 and some up to 120, like you said, but let's do some math here. Right. You know, cause you're absolutely right. If you look at the, the, but if you start to back off, it usually takes in some of that that widget manufacturer. Let's say it, it takes another ninety days in their factory to 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 build, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you you put on ninety days of payment, then you back off ninety days to build it, and then 
raw material required another 90 days to order, right? Yep. Very rough numbers, right? So we're looking at 270 days, right? From the date that cash is outlaid to the date that you're receiving that money from your uh, your customer, right? Yep. Again, there's, you know, some are shorter, some are longer, but if mm-hmm. we were to, to think of that, Really, the the cycle for um, you know uh, you know general aerospace products is right mm-hmm. around you know six to eight months of cash conversion, right? Mm-hmm. Again, back to this liquidity issue that as this ramp up happens, Craig, because you're absolutely right, is is part of that you know PFS and and these longer payment terms uh, is is really stringing it out for the lower middle market, and it's a really challenge. Uh, to ha- you know, have your cash conversion cycle at plus six months, yeah, up to the eight or nine month mark, right? From you know cash outlay, uh, and oh by the way, you paid for material, it's whipped, and you're paying employees, right? And then you're paying for logistics and freight because uh, of FOB and other other standards that are out there. So you're outlaying all this cash, right? Yeah. And it's taking you up upwards of nine months to to receive those. Uh, yeah to receive that cash. So um, that's why this ramp up in Q1 or Q2 to start preparing for Q3, Q4, as those OEMs and tier one start putting out those purchase orders, um, that's gonna put a tremendous strain in these next couple quarters uh, on the middle and lower market. Yeah, I'm gonna talk the political situation where Mr. Biden thinks we're all getting rich over here too. It's uh, you know, anyway, that's my that's my political. But that'll be my my quick political quip there. It's like whoa. Um, I mean, it makes my head hurt when you think about you know here's some guy or some small company, 100 million in revenues, 50 million. All of a sudden now they're 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 10 million in the hole, on or more, and they're trying to finance it all on you know thinking that maybe I'll get paid in nine months. Um, that's a very hard story. To tell us what happens, do we do, do the OEMs who can get credit? Do they start loaning money to their suppliers, or do they, so, you know, do they do they give them some low interest loans to their suppliers to keep them around? Do they cut them loose? Is there a lot of is there a lot of consolidation that's about ready to happen? What's uh, what's what's going to happen? Yeah, I think a couple things, uh, and they're not in any particular order, but um, they're. In the past, when volumes were higher, uh, for an example, in 737, when it was at 47, you know, 52, uh, you know, a month, uh, there was a lot of dual sourcing going on, right? So multiple suppliers uh, did parts, right? And that's, you know, uh, produced parts, for example, Boeing or tier ones. And that was a risk reduction strategy, right? So if one supplier had a problem, they could always ramp up another one very quickly and increase Mm -hmm. the volume. But uh, it, it costs those OEMs and tier ones money to, have dual source uh, supplies on defense programs, right? Like, uh, you know, maybe not so much F-35, but like the uh, lower volume defense programs uh, that, that are still uh, in production, usually only have one supplier per part because it's expensive both to qualify and also to maintain multiple suppliers on parts. So we're gonna start seeing it on the commercial programs uh, from dual sourcing to single sourcing uh, start happening, right? And, and when that single sourcing starts to happen, um, it, for lack of better terms, winners and losers are picked, right? By by some of these bigger OEMs and tier ones. And I'm not trying to say that in a bad or negative way, but um, mm-hmm. you, know, you lose a work statement uh, and it goes to somebody else, uh, yep. whatever reason, um, you're losing out on work, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's, uh, you know, that's definitely one challenge, uh, you know, that, that, that we're seeing there. Um, 
so I don't know if that answered your question from, uh, you know, kind of one of the, we're, you know, going to see. Um, uh, yeah, from, look, I'm, I mean, but the, but the issue now is there's risk in your supply chain. You cut it to yeah. one supply. You, you know, it's, it's kind of like the old adage, you know, if you, if, if, if you owe the bank a hundred, hundred dollars, the bank owns you. If you owe them a hundred million, you own the bank. Um, you know, now all of a sudden you've got one supplier making a critical widget or a critical part. You know, who owns who at that stand at that yeah at that point? Um, yeah. So you also asked about uh, in coming back to that about the financing, right? I I think that there's some critical suppliers like the Boeing's and and others of the uh, uh, you know tier ones that will come in and and do. I don't know if it's so much as loans as it's more of kind of like prepayments, right? For mm-hmm. future deliveries, um, and we'll probably see that on very long lead times, like castings and forgings. Uh, you know, mechanical assemblies you know, things that require multiple layers, uh, you know, uh, fracture critical, you know, uh, assemblies that, that, that require, uh, you know, multiple testing or, uh, you know, processes uh, and, and also multiple layers of, of uh, build material bombs, right, you know, of, of being created. So I think that we'll probably see some advanced payments. I'm not sure that OEMs and tier ones will get into the lending. Um, mm-hmm. Know, because again, uh, financing is obviously not their forte, but I think they're going to have to get creative with with uh, uh, lenders and um, uh, other investors. Uh, I think that you know private equity is going to play a big part in in the middle market uh, when it comes to uh, you know maybe the maybe the OEMs and tier ones have to help broker some consolidation. I think you know so we talked about dual sourcing to single sourcing. We talked about probably like some prepayments. And easing up on the payment terms, right? That's kind of leg number two, and probably leg number three is the consolidation. And um, it's going to be hard, but I think that there's going to be some companies that probably on their own aren't going to be able to, uh, you know, manage on the lower volumes for the next couple of years. Yeah. And there might have to be some, uh, you know, like-minded thought process and consolidation amongst uh, suppliers. Uh, again, where it's it, it, it's painful and it's unfortunate, but uh, probably some consolidation is going to happen. Yeah, and and the the, the challenge there becomes then when start things start to pick up, you know, you you, you know people got to be able, you know, it's 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 a da- look. This is a probably six, seven, eight, ten year issue that's going to have to kind of it's going to take I think almost a decade to clear out the logjam when you think about you know the ramifications of it, you know. Um, you know, we'll look back and go, gee, that sucked. I hope we never see it again. That's kind of what my hope is, but it's going to take, yeah, like you're going to see this effects of it for a long time, which is interesting because I was talking to another fellow and he's on, you know, he's, he's out selling engine MRO and, um, you know, they're like, Hey, look, you know, we got crushed, not because we couldn't do the work, but because we, we couldn't get the parts, you know, GE and Pratt and, and Rolls and all those fellows. You know, they were affected by COVID too. They had to lay off people or they had to do you know, work stoppages or they had to accommodate the, the pandemic. And, uh, and now there's a lot, you know, now the long lead time parts are, so you, you're going to see some benefits, I think, there on the, you know, serviceable material side of the house. So it's, it's, uh, it's almost like a puzzle now. It's kind of, yeah. makes my head, it makes my head hurt. Well, back, and, and to your point you were making a, a bit ago is, when there's consolidation and factories close or, um, you know, uh, abilities and capabilities are lost, that's capacity loss, right? Right. Um, as the ramp up happens, right, machines 
and people that were, you know, uh, readily available to do that work beforehand mm-hmm. might or when it comes back, right? So that in and of itself, you know, uh, you know, drives a lot of challenge in the supply chain to start ramping back up, right? There becomes a demand on 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 limited assets and uh, and uh, you know machines and, and companies uh, prices start going up, right? Yep. And you know uh, delivery commitments stop being met, um, and then there's probably a risk aversion to additional investment, right? Because there's a lot of investment. You might remember with uh, seven three seven and seven eight seven, mm-hmm. a lot of investment made to increase capacity at businesses to, to support mm-hmm. contracts. And it's not there right now, right? And I and I, and I hope I'm optimistic that that'll come back in the years to come. But um, some of that capacity that was built might have been sold off uh, for liquidity purposes uh, or consolidated, where that plant is no longer there, right? And yep. uh, uh, so that's going to be a challenge, right? Uh, when when the ramp up starts to happen again. Yeah, I want to talk about you know now that you talk about the next layer of investment. My fear now is that. As the industry starts to get healthy again, you know, I'm going to throw throw a different wrench into it, and it's all of a sudden now the green, the environmental thing, and you're saying, all right, we're, we're we've we've put a big investment just in rebuilding ourselves, and now all of a sudden we've got to go back and make monster investments in motors, APUs, yeah, airframes that are maybe you know what. What do we need to get to? 30, 40% more efficiency? Is that is that real? Is that a real goal? But that's kind of my, you know, that's that becomes my fear is that the industry gets choked out by a lot of different political um before it's completely healthy, it gets choked out by a bunch of political concerns. Yeah. And if if, if you kind of think about um it kind of gets back to uh back to the 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 liquidity and cash, right? Because when you invest in new technologies, right, whether it's, uh, you know, fuel efficiency and fuel cells or electric or hydrogen uh, powered, uh, all these different types of technologies, they cost money to develop, right? Mm-hmm. There are some government grants and contracts and some done by defense, but but really, you know, commercial commercial platforms that do, uh, that do investing and R&D are out of the company budgets and our cash outlays, right? So, um, we ought to also be cognizant about a lot of this uh, uh, commitment to green, you know, w- w- which it, it, you know, um, it, it, in, in general, it's a good, good, good theory and good, uh, good practice to to try to go towards. But it takes, it takes, uh, you know, it takes cash and it takes resources to go do that. And so we just have to be mindful about, you know, those commitments and what new technology can be developed as the ramp up happens. Uh, with limited resources and and uh, you know uh, you know some cash constraints that's that's in the supply chain right now. So what are you know, what do, what do people need to be thinking about? What are the two three two or three things that you know? What are the two or three opportunities people have ahead of them? And what are the you know what are the landmines? Yeah, I think number one is um, is really kind of looking at um, modular type factories, right? Um, how can you make your system more adaptable through uh, collaborative uh, type technology and robots, uh, movable lines, um, and being flexible, right? Uh, how to inter- introduce, uh, you know, new programs and new products quickly. Uh, you know, how can you make sure you have good design uh, in engineering up front uh, to uh, have a good producible product? So, mm-hmm. you know, I'll call it kind of uh, uh, factory of the future type mm-hmm. 
concepts um, uh, to be adaptable and nimble. Uh, and then I think the next thing is, is really using business intelligence, more specifically predictive analytics, right? So there's some really good tools out there that, uh, that, uh, that, that we work with uh, and have some partnerships uh, you know, with some, some large uh, uh, IT-based companies that uh, provide predictive analytics to show uh, where you're at on future uh, uh, you know, financial, mm -hmm. operational, quality trends, uh, business trends that help you uh, make the right business decisions. So uh, okay. the technologies out there, um, you know, the the lower and the middle market really need to find ways to utilize that technology to make better business decisions for the future. Is there a way to consolidate all that business intelligence and predictive? Is like could you could you do a warehouse or a clearinghouse almost an Amazon where a lot of these smaller guys can all come to it? Is that a possibility? Yeah, absolutely. And 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 you know one of the tools that we've created with a big company called SAP, um, it's Patriot Swap powered by uh, SAP, and so it's uh, 21 key KPIs and uh, it develops predictive analytics from the business uh, the business information that the the companies have, and it allows us to work with companies out there to. Uh, help them with their risk, you know, risk mitigation, uh, improving their business, uh, because a lot of the companies sometimes don't know, um, you know, where they may be having a problem that's coming up. And we look at, uh, you know, kind of key, uh, you know, uh, you know, business metrics with them and right. help avoid some of those challenges. So uh, there's definitely tools out there, uh, IoT and other, yep. you know, uh, there's, there's other firms that have uh, health monitoring and uh, business supply chain solutions. So they're out there. Um, it's just a matter of kind of being proactive and saying how do how do how do companies you know again get their hands around predictive analytics and uh, you know setting up their factories uh, to you know be modular and and uh, adaptable to to new products and introducing those new products. So yeah, I mean, what do you, what do we see as uh, what do we see as we move forward? We see um, a lot of private equity scooping up. Do we see a lot of distressed deals? Do we see a lot of people that are Hey, I'm muddling along, but I'm open to an acquisition. We just see a lot of people just kind of you know die on the vine. What do you what do you see the landscape looking like? Two, I, I see kind of two main. Uh, I would say two main themes at this point. Number one is uh, private equity is very uh, is very actively involved, and I would say two sides of it. Uh, there are the private equity uh, teams that uh, got in over the last couple of years when when uh, volumes were high and uh, the market pre COVID was very strong. And uh, there's probably some distress uh, or financial uh, financial strain within some of those business models now uh, with the lower volumes, right? And uh, multiples and and such that were uh, that were dealt at that point. Uh, so I think that there's going to be you know some some refinancing and other uh, other type of uh, active uh, you know uh, you know financial um, you know kind of restructuring there, uh, and then. Equity firms that are are, are looking at uh, kind of lower valuations, distressed assets, uh, and um, will put you know their dry powder to work. And I think that's going to be one of the the really uh, positive things for the industry. Whereas uh, you know private equity maybe in the years past had uh, maybe a negative connotation. Uh, you know, for, but uh, my experience with some of the private equity teams is as true value creation, right? And where do they invest? Create new technology? Create jobs? Um, you know, improve factories and supply chains, uh, try to build customer relationships. So I've had had some really positive experiences with some uh, with, with some clients and 
and private equity groups on uh, on, on on really build, building better businesses. Uh, so that's uh, so I see that kind of two different uh, uh, kind of worlds right now. The private equity, the, the the folks that have been there and in there, and then the new entrants with with that new dry powder. And then I think the second category is all about consolidation, right? So we're going to see, uh, you know, maybe uh, some of the heavies out of, uh, you know, like uh, Japan or France or some of these other, uh, you know, maybe larger larger groups, uh, maybe even here uh, in the U.S. Uh, doing some consolidation of some of the smaller structures businesses. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I think we're going to see that. I think there's going to be some consolidation within the engine components uh, mm-hmm. kind of case as well. And then also we'll see it, you know, in specialty products and processes, you know, like forgings and castings. So I think we're going to see some consolidation and that may come from maybe better position tier ones and twos, uh, either privately held or well capitalized, uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, well-run businesses. Um, and also those businesses, I think we're starting to see, um, you know, even at the very top with uh, uh uh, you know, with uh, uh, Lockheed Martin and uh, uh, the Aerojet, right? Um, right, 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 right. You know, acquisition. So even at the very top, um, you know, very well-positioned defense companies um, are probably going to be making some vertical acquisitions. And that was that was very clearly a vertical uh, vertical integration uh, and acquisition of, of that to kind of shore up their, uh, their boosters and, and, you know, rockets and other uh, you know, uh, launch technology that Aerojet provides. So again, not using that as the prime example, but we're going to see some also some consolidation uh, and vertical integration activity from some of the better, uh, better and well-positioned uh, companies uh, out there. You optimistic? What do you? Uh, you optimistic for the industry? Do you think we have a while to go? What? Uh, well, let's let's end it on this note. How's that sound? Yeah. Uh, obviously, I'm long aerospace, right? Um, if, if we look at the aerospace cycles, they're, you know, anywhere from eight to 10 year cycles. I think this past one before kind of 737 and COVID uh, kind of took it down was a 12 year cycle, the longest one we've had. Um, so they, they take a bit to, to work up and then uh, there's some type of event, either financial or man-made that, uh, uh, or, you know, uh, natural uh, that, that takes, uh, takes and does a reset, unfortunately. Um, so um, I, I guess I would end it on, um, I think I heard maybe a year or two ago that 7% of the world population flew on an airplane in like 2019. I don't right. even know in 2020 what that is. It's probably lower uh, for obvious reasons. But if you think about 7% has flown on an airplane, uh, that's 93% of the world population has the opportunity to get, uh, get in the seat and fly. And so uh, if you just think about that, that's a lot of people that could potentially be in the airspace in the years to come. Yeah. Uh, so again, is it going to happen uh, soon? Probably not, but uh, I definitely think we're uh, we're about to start our next cycle. And um, you know, I think a year, year and a half from now, we're we're having a different conversation about growth. Yeah, I'm very optimistic too. I think all the doom and gloom. Yeah, look, it's scary. Yeah. Yeah. You know, watching a hurricane come on down to you mm-hmm. is is scary. It's scary when it's on top of you, but eventually it passes and then you're like, okay, we're here. Let's go rebuild. So good. So Alex Kreutz, managing partner of Patriot Industrial Partners. How do uh, folks get a hold of you? Um, so Alex.Kreutz at PatriotIndustrialPartners.com. Uh, you can go onto my LinkedIn at Alex, uh, Alex Kreutz and uh, also uh, Patriot Industrial Partners. Um, uh, LinkedIn uh, is there. So cool. 
yeah, just uh, send me an email or, or uh, go through the contact page of the, uh, the website and, and uh, I'll get back to you and, and uh, see, see how we can, uh, uh, you know, kind of work together. And help them out. Awesome. Hey, thanks for coming on today. Enjoyed having you. Great. Thanks, Craig. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the Aerospace Executive Podcast. You can reach out to me directly, Craig at NorthStarESG.com, or check us out at www.NorthStarESG.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or on YouTube. Just do a search for Aerospace Executive Podcast. Thanks again. I'm Craig Pippen.